your service center with sales offices in major cities nationwide. Call this toll-free number now to see how to get this free information. The information includes a form for confidentiality and to record and date your idea, plus Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face, -face. and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. And if you have family or friends who can't watch the program through television, they can go to www.hotm.tv and watch it from anywhere in the world, live through streaming video. I was a born-again Mormon, is now available, available on downloadable PDF for free or donation if you want to do it. Either way, you can get it immediately in your hands by going to www.hotm.tv. If you prefer a hardbound copy, we are still working on getting those, but they are available to you immediately if you want it right now at that website. I've got a question for you. Those of you who live in the body of Utah, how well do you know your Bible? Would you like to know it better? We meet every week throughout the state in different parts studying the Bible just through Bible studies. We welcome you to come. I teach at the U of U on Sundays from 2.30 to 3.30 and then at 7 p.m. at Utah State in Logan. Marcus uh, teaches in Ogden Wednesday nights. You can gather information about the times and places at www.calvarycampus.com for more information like location and directions. We're finding that people from all over the place, all different churches come. They do the church in the morning, they come through and they do a little Bible study with us. It's also become a, quite a social event, so we'd love to see it there. In six weeks, Saturday night, October 31st, I think there's something that happens on that night, we are launching our new program for teens and young adults called The Gray Generation. People have asked, what does The Gray Generation mean? Why that title? And the title means we live in a time when black and white are being diffused into gray. That people uh, are having trouble knowing right and wrong, or at least following right or wrong. They're saying there is no truth. Everything is relative. Everything is gray. And so they can't even make a decision on something. So that's why we have the title of that show. And we're going to try to address the cultural depredations that are going on the teens today through that program. So first, we have a volunteer meeting for people who want to help us launch and keep the program on the air. Saturday morning, October 3rd, here at KTMW TV 20 stations, 11 a.m. Go to www.thegraygeneration.tv for more information like directions. And why don't we just take, take a second and we can watch the introduction to this upcoming outreach to teens.
So there it is, the great generation starting Halloween night. It will also be going streaming from everywhere in the world. And uh, great generation, Saturday night, 10.30 p.m., Halloween, and we'll kick it off. Also, if you're a Christian musician, a solo artist, a guitarist, a band, a pianist, and I, that's how you say it, pianist, uh, we would love... <laughs> We, our camera operator, she, she's laughing right now. and that, that, it's, uh, We would uh, love you to highlight your skill, put it on a DVD or a CD or anything, and give it to us so we can uh, see if we can get you to air you on The Great Generation. We're, gonna have, we're redoing the whole studio. You can't see the sound stage right now, but we're redoing the whole thing. And we're putting a place for a band to do music uh, who are uh, Christians. And so if you are a musician or talented in that way, and you want to be on The Great Generation, go to www.thegreatgeneration.tv and we will uh, check out your stuff and see if we can have you. How about a, more, a moment in LDS history? On February 5th, 1852, Brigham Young announced a policy of denying the priesthood to all men of black African ancestry, saying that, quote, even if there was never a prophet or apostle of Jesus Christ who spoke it before, the Negroes are the children of old Cain, and having one drop of the seed of Cain in him cannot hold the priesthood. The LDS policy stood for the next 126 years. So where Jesus and his work on the cross when, cross, when he said it is finished, brought down all barriers to access to God Joseph Smith, and especially in this case, Brigham Young, put it right back up, more barriers. And of course they sing, follow the prophet, follow the prophet, follow the prophet. He knows the way. Mm. Uh, last week I prefaced my monologue by saying that one of the favorite activities of the LDS was cherry picking scriptures, you know, pulling them out of context from the Bible and wrongly applying them in order to support their errant biblical perspectives. Uh, when we started taking calls last week, we had a guy named Joe from Clinton, Utah, an LDS man who must not have heard the comments on the subject. And well, he started doing the cherry picking waltz right there on the screen. I mean, it was a living example. I danced with him for a while, much to my better judgment, because it's really futile to do this with people. Uh, and then when he had danced himself into a scriptural corner, and I was so excited with where he had gotten it, we ended the program. We ran out of time. And it was the first time in the history of the show that I lost track of, of the actual time of the show, just gone. So we were talking about being saved and in an effort to bolster his argument that we must work to receive salvation and that you can't just say, Jesus, I love you and be saved. He cherry picked a favorite LDS scripture from the book of Matthew chapter seven. And this scripture says, he said, Sean, remember, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. This is the verse that he used on me. By the tone of his voice, you would have thought he was reading something that said, Verily, verily, believing in Jesus is not enoughth. It is not enoughth at alleth. And youeth are wrongeth. I mean, he, he was so thinking he had just struck a piece of gold with this, using this verse, cherry picking it out of context. What Joe didn't see was that he became an actual perfect living example of LDS cherry picking and how bad it is. How? Well, first, if he had only continued to read. Uh, what does Jesus say in the very next verse? He clarifies the context of why people are saying, Lord, Lord, how they are using his name. Because he goes on and he says, many will say, because the first verse is, uh, Many will, uh, not everyone that says, Lord, Lord. And then he says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name, Lord, Lord, cast out many devils. And in thy name, Lord, Lord, done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. So using that verse out of context, Lord, not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, will enter my kingdom, completely 
he thought he was going one direction, but contextually he proved himself absolutely wrong. He proved my point even more. The context of these passages is that people will come and say to Jesus in the end, Lord, Lord, look at our good works, our many wonderful works. And he's going to say, I don't know who you are. The LDS interpret this passage to be saying, not everyone who just, not the come to Jesus, come to the front and confess his name and you will be saved. They use it that way. Um, uh, they are, uh, when in actuality it's saying you have to uh, do the works of the Father. His reply is, you can, in paraphrasing, Jesus is saying, you can do whatever you want to do. You can prophesy my name. You can cast out devils. You can do many wonderful works and you can do it in my name, Lord, Lord. But, if it's not the will of my Father, I'm not going to know who you are. So what does it mean literally and contextually to do the will of the Father? Okay? We went to great lengths last week to explain this, and I'm going to touch on it again so that we can understand. The day after Jesus fed the masses with fish and loaves, the next day, as recorded in John, the masses followed him, and he turns to them, and he knows what they want. They want more food. And he says, Essentially, don't work for food that perishes, and, uh, but work for the food, the meat, that is last eternally, that is eternal life. And he says, which the Son of Man will give you? Work for the food that the Son will give you. And while people replied to Jesus and they say, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? They asked Jesus, he says, work for the food that's going to last forever and I'm going to give it to you. And he says, what shall we do that we will work the works of God? And, uh, and Jesus says, this is the work of God, that ye believe on him who he has sent. Within the walls of Mormonism, you will hear on any given Sunday, at least a dozen times in any LDS building, the comment, you must obey the commandments. Obey the commandments. Obey the commandments. And what are the commandments given by Jesus? Believe on him and love. Those are his commandments. Believe and love. Okay? Uh, the verse, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, could also be written, if you love me, you will believe on me and you will love others. But they present it as keep the commandments and they tie it into a bunch of things that are not even his commandments in the New Testament. To do the will of God is to believe on his son, my friends. The works we do will result from this belief and those works will be based in love if they are to have any merit. Having said and proven this through scripture, uh, he, uh, we could have then pulled out all kinds of contextual proven arguments to show that you are not saved and the commandments are not in the New Testament, Sabbath day observances, ordinances, rites, or rituals, mandatory tithes, 10%, and offerings, temple endowments, eternal marriages, faux priesthoods, health codes and restrictions, joining uh, or, um, a religion or a church and dedicating all your wealth and time and talents to the building up of that religious giant. We believe that he is God and we love others as a result. This in summary is Christianity, to believe and then we love. Those are his commandments. So with that, let's have a prayer. Lord, we thank you uh, from our hearts for all you do and all you have done and all you will continue to do. We ask your blessings upon our audience here in the studio, out in the world, wherever they may be viewing, that they will come to a, a, a true living knowledge of you as the I am, as God. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Three weeks ago, we introduced the first verses of section 132 from the LDS scriptures called the Doctrine and Covenants. We talked about how in the introductory verses of this section 132, Joseph Smith claimed that God said that if a person has a law revealed to them, that they must obey that law or they will be damned. In section 132, which remains in Mormon body of scripture today, Joseph Smith claimed that God revealed his will concerning polygamy, taking on more than one wife. According to what section 132 says, 
This law must be obeyed or the people who have read it will be damned if they do not embrace it. To this, we had an FLDS, a fundamental LDS caller, call and state that the FLDS actually follow Mormonism much better than Salt Lake City Mormonism does. And to that point, we had to agree. Well, we left off with verse 6. In verse 7 through 14, Joseph has the Lord lay out the conditions of this new law. And in essence, he has him say that no matter what is done in this world, uh, if it's not done by God and his power and authority, meaning not through the LDS priesthoods, then these things will not be efficacious upon the lives of people after they are dead. This includes marriage. So whatever form is and of his authority, meaning from the LDS church, these things, it says, quote, will never be shaken or destroyed. So summary of that, if you're married by a pastor or somebody, if you're married and you, you love your spouses and everything, when you die, that's gone. If you make any type of legal contract, that's gone. If you make any type of oath or covenant, that's gone because it's broken because it's not done by anything of heavenly authority. Joseph Smith in 132 says, if you do these things by the LDS priesthood and authorities, it will be binding after this life forever and ever. So in verse 15, the revelation states, listen, therefore, after prefacing with, it, with that, if a man marry him a wife in the world, and he marry her not by me nor my word, which means not by the LDS priesthood, then the revelation goes on to say that such a marriage will end in death. Christians would agree that those marriages end in death anyway, but Joseph said, we have a caveat here to make it extend beyond death. It's called LDS priesthood. We can have this marriage last forever. And if this be the case, verse 16 goes on to say that those who are married on earth by a pastor or not by an LDS authority, not in the LDS temple, will be, quote, listen, appointed as angels in heaven, which angels are ministering servants to minister for those who are worthy of a far more and an exceeding and an eternal weight of glory. Summary of that says, if you are LDS and you're not married in the temple, you will become a servant angel to those couples who are married in the temple and go on to receive an exceeding eternal weight of glory. So that is according to their own faith. Then listen to the next verse, which Joseph Smith says came from God. Quote, for these angels... Uh, did not abide my law. Again, talking about any LDS person who is not sealed to a spouse in the LDS temple. Therefore, they cannot be enlarged, meaning they cannot create other worlds. They cannot populate other worlds through eternal sexual relations with their spouse or spouses. And then he goes on, but remain separate and singly, meaning unmarried, in their saved condition, it says, to all eternity, and from henceforth are not gods, but are angels of God forever and ever, end quote. This is saying so much, my friends, just listen. First, it's saying there's a huge difference in LDS doctrine between being saved and being exalted. When they talk about being saved, it does not mean what Christians mean when you are saved. It just means, and saved has many, actually three different meanings in Mormonism. And in this context of Doctrine and Covenants 132, it's talking to LDS people who were baptized by the Mormon church, who lived in the Mormon church, but were, and they go to the celestial kingdom, but they go to the lowest part of the celestial kingdom, not to the exalted part where you become a god. They're calling that saved. Next, it tells us what is required to become a god. Uh, being married or sealed to a spouse in an LDS temple is requisite to becoming a god. If you're not, you will become a servant angel to those people. If a Latter-day Saint is not married in the LDS temple, they die without a spouse and become servants uh, for people who have a weightier glory. Sound Christian? They say they're Christian. Does this sound Christian to you? Why are they saying they are Christian? This has nothing to do with Jesus and his uh, saving gospel message. Nothing. It has to do with the uh, uh, visions of, of a man. All right? 
Then ask, what is required to enter the temple in order to receive these marital ordinances? Okay, so Joseph Smith says, look it, you want to become a god. This is in their scripture. You have to be married. And if you're not married in the temple by an LDS authority, you will become a servant angel and you will not become a god. You will not increase. So if you want to become a god, you got to be married in the temple. What do you need to do to get into that temple? So now we have a system going on. We have a whole business model going on. Well, you have to have obey, obedience to certain qualifiers. You have to confess that Mormonism is the only true church on the face of the earth. You have to confess that Joseph Smith was the prophet of God. You have to confess that you believe and give your allegiance to a living prophet and 12 apostles. Okay, you have to uh, say that you will pay 10% of your income and they watch it. And you, you have to pay 10% to get in there and get this thing in order to become a God. And you have to abstain from coffee, tea, tobacco, and alcohol. Having, you can't have more than one piercing, according to the modern-day prophet. So, you know, in one ear, one, two piercings, I guess. And a host of other external submissions in order to prove yourself worthy to become this God. Did Jesus say anything like this is required? Did Jesus talk about marriage in this way? Not in the least. He talked about marriage in the absolute opposite way that Joseph Smith is talking about it. The opposite way. Open up your Bible, read, do a search on Jesus and marriage and read what he says. You won't believe what he, it's the opposite of what Joseph Smith says. What does the Bible say is required to receive eternal life? Believe in Jesus as God and you will be saved. The revelation goes on to list that all glories that await people who are married in the LDS temple. And then it states in verse 20 and 21 that upon these glories, uh, the, those LDS faithful people, then they shall become gods because they have no end. Therefore, they shall be everlasting to everlasting, it says, because they continue. Then shall they be above all, it says, because all things shall be subjected unto them. Talking about these people who have been married in the temple and live the Mormon life and die as couples. All things will be subjected unto them. Then they become gods because they have all power, it says. And the angels are subject unto them. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you abide my law, this is what he's talking about, you cannot attain this glory. Where God says through Isaiah um, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, there was no God formed, neither after me shall there be. That's what God says about himself. Joseph says, you shall become gods. And the only way you're going to get there is by going into the LDS temple and receiving the LDS temple rites. It's amazing. It's amazing that in the august presence of God's holy word, and of Jesus' ultimate and final offering. It's amazing that uh, there are people who actually believe when this Holy Bible lays out who God is and who man is, that there are good people out there who actually believe that they are going to become gods because they have been married to somebody in an LDS temple. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable where you place your faith. Unbelievable. I hope you understand that. Open their eyes, Father. Open their eyes. The revelation continues on uh, where Joseph tells the reader that if they enter into the LDS covenant of temple marriage, they will get their promised exaltation no matter what they do. Once they have received this marriage covenant, he includes all manner of blasphemies. He says, if you're married in the LDS temple, you can commit all manner of blasphemies and you will then uh, enter into your exaltation as a God unless, he gives one caveat, and he says, unless you commit uh, shed innocent blood. This is why Mormons believe that if you shed innocent blood, you do not go to the celestial kingdom, no matter what. Jesus' blood does not cover murder, all right? And then Joseph, he rewrites what the meaning is blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. This is what he says. Listen, the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost, which shall not be forgiven in this world nor out of this world, is in that you commit murder, wherein you shed innocent blood, and assent unto my death after you have received the new and everlasting covenant. So Joseph says blasphemy against the Holy Ghost is defined as this. You've entered the, new, you've entered the temple, you've been married to a Mormon through their rites and rituals, and you go and you shed innocent blood. That is blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. And if you do that, you shall not go into uh, the celestial kingdom.
Uh, if you think about the implications, and I'm not going to take the time now, of this doctrine alone, of what it does to the human mind when we're talking about law and our reactions to law, that you say if you're married in a temple under the priesthood power, you will become an exalted God no matter what you do uh, unless you commit murder. If you go down that trail according to how the law works on our hearts, you're talking about some very murderous people in their hearts. And it's going to take some thinking to contemplate on that, but chew on that one for a while and think about it. Then in verse 29, Joseph shifts and segues now into the topic of plural marriage. And he starts talking about Abraham. And in verse 29, he says that Abraham received his exaltation and sits upon a throne because he obeyed all these things that Joseph Smith is revealing. And in verse 30 and 31, Joseph Smith has the Lord tell him that he, Joseph Smith, it says in the Revelation, is one of the fruits of Abraham. And uh, these promises are made to him as well. It's like saying, God was saying, Joseph, in the Revelation, you are one of Abraham's sons. And the promises that made Abraham a God are here for you to take advantage of it well. And then he drops the bomb. He drops the bomb on Emma, and he drops the bomb on the LDS world forever. Still speaking of Joseph Smith and his relationship to Abraham, God says in verse 32, Go ye therefore, Joseph, and do the works of Abraham. Enter ye into my law, and you shall be saved. This is a gigantic bombshell, my friends, because what Joseph is having God say to him is, Go take on more wives like Abraham did, and if you do, you will be saved because you are being obedient to this law that I'm giving you. In a nutshell, any LDS scholar, BYU professor, farms guy will agree. This is what it is saying. This is why the revelation was given and taken to Emma for her to read and to accept. The interesting thing about this is, is he gave, gave this revelation. He had been practicing taking these wives secretly behind Emma's back for probably 10 years prior to it coming out. So we're going to continue on with that next uh, week and continue through because now we're getting into the part where he justifies and articulates why polygamy is necessary to become a god. This is why you wonder, well, why do we have these FLDS wearing prairie dresses down there living in the dust with 50 wives? And the Mormon church here in Salt Lake says, they, we have nothing to do with them. Why are they down there doing that? Because they believe the scriptures that Joseph Smith gave. And this is the scripture he gave, Doctrine and Covenants 132, on this, and it can't be revoked. And that's why even Mormonism today, fundamental Mormonism, not fundamental Mormonism, Mormonism in Salt Lake City, they don't take this passage, these passages out of the Doctrine and Covenants because they believe it too. They just don't practice it right now. But they believe in the principle of eternal marriage, uh, multiple uh, wives too. Okay, before we go to the phone, um, 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. First time callers only. LDS callers, please. Please turn down your TV sets. Uh, while the operators are clearing the calls, we want to show you a spot that tells about our partners program, which helps keep us uh, aground here on television. Hi, I'm Sean McCraney with Alathia Ministry, producer of Heart of the Matter. We exist solely on the support of those who appreciate our efforts at reaching others with the saving message from Jesus Christ. We want to invite you, if you're so inclined, to come alongside with us, partner with us financially. Now, all uh, support and prayers are greatly appreciated, but Heart of the Matter Partners, or HOTM Partners, has been carefully designed to supply support for Aletheia Ministries' long-term sustainability without burdening individuals too much. On your screen is an address. You can write to partners there, ask information, whatever you want to do, we'll send you a brochure. Also, if you're interested, you can check us out at www.hotm.tv. Additionally, you can call us 1-888-868-4686. All prayers, all support are appreciated. God bless you. See you Tuesdays. Got a message on the phone uh, from somebody that said, Word of wisdom, Sean, uh, evidence of Joseph Smith, fruit, and then it was something to the effect of wake up. So uh, he believes that the word of wisdom is evidence of Joseph Smith being inspired and I would just suggest you go back to our show on the Word of Wisdom. We did it last year, 2008. And the, the health movement was much 
uh, afloat there in uh, Joseph's time. Kellogg and all those health guys were very much into the breakfast cereals and these healthy eating. And Joseph picked up on that, like he picked up on picks up on everything, and he brought it in and he made it a commandment. And you can look at the context of which that was given. You can also look at the way the the word of wisdom has gone down. And you can look at quotes going back to the 1600s that liken smoking to living in stingian pits of the devil. I mean, these things are not revelatory. It was common sense, common practice. Mormonism is based in a lot of common sense and reason. Listen, you work, you eat, you save, you have money. All those practical things were very much Mormonesque, and Joseph Smith tapped into that. So the word of wisdom being evidence that Joseph Smith was a prophet of God, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't agree with it. I think it's good advice though, and uh, we'll go from there. We're going to Dave, we have a question here. How long does it take to get someone's name off the records? Uh, we've had a number of questions about taking your name off. We still stand by abandoned ship. That means go and write the LDS church and say, take my names off this thing. I don't want any part of this uh, beast any longer. I wanna be free. And we have received a number of emails from people saying, listen, that has really liberated me taking that action and seeing the letter come back saying it has been done. However, to go through the process, go to www.utlm.org. That's who we refer to on all LDS information. You have questions about Mormonism, go to utlm.org. And uh, you can also go to our site and there's links to how to get your name taken off. Follow that process. How long does it take? It depends on your stake president and your bishop that you're, uh, that's over you in the, where you live. And it could take several months. It might take a few weeks. I haven't heard it uh, occurring quicker than a week or so. So uh, there's your answer to that. We're going to Dave in Delaware, first time caller, line two. Dave, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah, hey, uh, Sean, I like the show. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, um, I guess my question, I guess it's kind of a comment and a question, but oh. um, I understand that for people that are coming out of Mormonism, you still encourage them to um, sometimes, if they feel led, to like stay in the ward and still be kind of active. Yeah. Um, in that way, and just one of the things that I see after interacting with Mormonism, and I've never been Mormon, but there is massive spiritual darkness there, like principalities upon principalities. And it, yeah. it seems to me to be very dangerous, given the occult nature, not cult, but occult nature yeah. of Mormonism. And so I'm just wondering how, as a pastor, you can somehow justify that or somehow... I mean, rationalize that, given that you've got these baby Christians and you're exposing them to hardcore demons. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just call it the way it is, but I mean, there, I mean there's even satanic-esque rituals-type stuff that goes on, you know, and, yeah. and, and that's what we're dealing with. So it's not just the Elks Club here, you know? Yeah. Well, the problem, Dave, is, and, and this, don't take this wrong, but you've never been LDS. And so you don't understand the cultural implications of just picking up your bags and walking out. And you would think, well, when God moves in, man, it just happens. But we, you understand the idea of baby Christians and then growing in Christ and becoming young and strong and then becoming mm -hmm. a father like John talked about. And so they, they are young. You're right. But the Holy Spirit is in them. And let me ask you a question. Do you believe that a, a person can actually literally be born again and the Holy Spirit can move in them and that they could sit there and, and listen to what goes on around them in Mormonism having seen the light? I, I would think that it would be, they would be more compelled to do that if they had people like you telling them. Okay, but that's not my question. That. That's not my question. My question is, do you believe with someone being born again, the Holy Spirit of God living within them, them knowing the true Jesus, that they could sit there for long uh, with, that, with that presence in them and not see the truth from the air? No, I believe that over time, yeah. Okay, they, they, and so... within them would rebel against us. Okay, yeah. and, and so what we do is we take the whole premise, and this is the problem with the anti-Mormon approach in the 60s and 70s and 80s, my friend, is their thing was to go out to Temple Square and scream at people as they're heading into the temple, you gotta leave this demon-possessed church right now! And they're walking in with their family who are all doing really well and they have jobs in the community and, 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 and they don't know what you're talking about. And so it was the extract method by all means instead of just getting them to let Jesus lead them. So I, having been LDS for 40 years and staying in the church four years after being reborn and seeing for myself what the heck was going on and the Holy Spirit leading me out when it was time, stand by the method to tell people, look, 
leaving Mormonism is not the issue. The issue is, do you know Jesus? And that's why we focus on that. So yeah, it, I, I that's mean, how I as a pastor. Saying, I'm just thinking that, that I mean, you know, because I'm guessing you've been through the temple. Just, I mean, those symbols that are there, I mean, you can go down to Temple Square and see them. You know, the, the sun, moon, and stars, those aren't just there for show. <laughs> Well, you know, you know I mean, what, Dave? There's things there that are dark and that are, are yeah, and they're dark, scary and scary. And, and I got to be fair, Dave. You know, someone could be born again in in uh, some place in Alabama and walk into a place where they're holding snakes and uh, and doing the strangest things on earth that call themselves a Christian church too. But the yeah, Holy there's other cults out there. I'll give you that. Yeah, no, the I'll Holy give you that point. <laughs> the Holy Spirit within that person, if they truly come to know who Jesus is, we trust God. And we know he will lead his sheep where they need to go. And we've seen it. But when you start trying to say, you've got to come out right now, often what happens is you have this extraction method where you show them all these heinous facts and they bail on Mormonism and they bail on God altogether. We want Jesus to lead them out, not us. Mm-hmm. Hope that makes sense, my friend. I like to hear you explain your view. Thanks, ma'am. Okay, take it easy. Bye-bye. Bye. We're going to Andrew in Clearfield. First time caller. Andrew, you're on Heart of the Matter. How you doing, Sean? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. I just wonder if you can help me with a question. I am a former LDS member, just newly born again Christian. Yeah. And there's a kid I, might, I work with, and he's like devout LDS and everything. And I had a question, and I was talking about the, te- his, the temple. Uh-huh. And I asked him, I was like, well, why can't I go into your temple? And he goes, you're not worthy enough. You're not worthy enough. I go, how am I not worthy? I go, I love Jesus Christ. Now he's my Lord and Savior. Why should I be worthy enough to get in the temple? Mm. And he goes, because you haven't done the right things. And so I asked him, I go, well, where in the Bible does it say, and I kind of joke around, I go, where in the Bible does it say that I need a membership card to get into the temple, to get into the Lord's house? Mm. And he told me, oh, it's in there. It's in the Bible, too. Mm. Well, and here's here's the thing. Uh, very few things, there's a few, but very few things that Joseph Smith conjured up came from nowhere. They had a basis in something and they, they germinated in his mind and then he, he, he fed off it. So what he did was he took masonry, that was where this, this whole thing, and masonry is a very secret society, and that's right. where the secrecy came in. But then he also tied it into the temple, into the lineage that was required of the Jews for someone to actually enter the Holy of Holies. They had to be a high priest, and they had to be from, at one time, from Aaron. And so they t- Joseph took all that, and so they, if they want to use their scriptures to show that not everybody could get into the temple, they could go back and say, look, there was only certain people who could enter the Holy of Holies. But there's a whole bunch of other things that have to go along with it that you offset, which are totally wrong. For instance, they did animal sacrifices when they went in the temple. Why did they go into the temple in the, in the days of Israel? Because they were sinful. They entered because they had sin and went into this temple to offer up sacrifices for their sin. The reverse is true, the Christianity of Mormonism. They entered because they're holy, which they're not. You see the reverse? There is no worthy person except the high priest who entered into the Holy of Holies to offer once a year blood for the sins of the people. The rest of the people came in the temple because they were sinners. Now, go to that high priest. What did he have to do? It was like a a gigantic ritual of cleansing and washings and beatings and, and, and all kinds of strange things. And just to get them right before God to go in for a second. And then they even tied a rope around him in case he fell over dead because he was unworthy. So their whole thing is completely messed up, and your friend is absolutely off his rocker to show that it was worthiness as to the reason you could or could not go into the temple. Does that make right. sense? And I could just make one more comment to yeah. any LDS members that are watching. I'm divorced. My ex-wife's LDS, and I have three kids. And my oldest boy asked me, he goes, what's the difference between the churches you go to and mommy's church? And I told I go, Mommy, do you believe that you have to, you know, get married in the temple, pay your tithing, the temple recommend, all that stuff to get to go to heaven? He goes, that's silly. <laughs> and yep. a four-year-old boy tells me that, and he goes, what do you believe in, Dad? I go, I believe that I am saved by the grace and love of Jesus Christ, yeah. who died and suffered for our sins. He goes, I like that idea much better. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. You know, that, that's really funny, Andrew, because uh, on the website, and I see it more and more, on the most popular websites... Uh, professional websites, the LDS are putting banner ads 
all over the place and they tap into this idea. They have these banner ads that say like, remember when you were a child that you knew who God was? Remember again, come to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yeah, and, I got a four-year-old son who just, you know, he's like already realizing that, hey, it's my, you know, it's a lot easier and it's a lot better and a lot stressful because like I said, I was from LDS and I tried to live up to the scriptures and the laws of the Mormon temple and it was hard. I mean, it got me to the point where I was almost suicidal because I cannot live up to those standards. Amen. Amen. And for all those LDS out there who are under the same bondage, this is a call to you. Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come unto me and I will give you, uh, come unto me all of you that labor and I will give you rest. It's all in him, my friends. Great call, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you, Sean. God bless you. Bye-bye. Take those kids. Bye -bye. Keep taking those kids to the Christian church. I will. Thank you. Okay, bye. All right, we're going to Allie and Tawilla, who is first-time caller, XLDS. Allie, you're on Heart of the Matter. you got to turn your TV down, dear. Okay. You're on the air. Hi, Sean. Hi, Allie. I love your show. Um, I just have a question. I'm a newly born Christian, and my parents are LDS. And I'm really scared for them, but I'm intimidated by them. And I'm not sure how to introduce this show to them without, because my mom's like, you need to start going back to our church, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, go ahead, Allie. <laughs> any advice? Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, it is probably the biggest question we get from people who come out and are saved, and now they turn back and they have their mother and father and their brother and sister. And the best advice I can give is, first and foremost, you continue to learn about the Lord. You continue to go and faithfully understand Him, get in His Word, stay on your knees, uh, keep repenting through your life, and love the Lord. Make Him the preeminent spot, okay? Then, okay. when you have time and it's, the, and it's the right moment with your parents, you just might bring up Jesus. You fortified yourself and you're armed with Him, and then you bring Him up. And you pray to the Lord every time you meet them, please let me be calm. Please don't let me attack them like Sean McCraney will do on the show. Let me just, let me just teach them about how he's uh, changed my life. And you show your parents that what type of a life you now have in him. And it's going to be probably time and a lot of eye-opening. And your parents will slowly begin to see what you are in him. And it will change. That, that's how this is happening within Mormonism is individuals like yourself are coming out, parents and brothers and sisters are standing back and saying, now what exactly is this gonna mean? And they see that it means something really different and important to their family members, that is good. And so entire families are coming out because of this, so stay on your knees, keep praying, we'll pray for you, Allie, and he's there for you. Thank you, Sean. Does that help? Yes. Okay, God bless Very you. Much. Thank you. See you later, bye. Bye-bye. Hey, we're going to Jim and Sandy. I'd like our operators to find out if Joe from Salt Lake, he says he's a first-time caller in his LDS, is he the same Joe who was uh, called the past two weeks? I just asked him that before I pick him up on line one. Jim and Sandy, first-time caller. Jim, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, hi. Is this Sean? It is. Sean, uh, greetings from the church that meets on CARM. You're always the subject of conversation there. On CARM? On CARM. Oh. I hope, uh, it's, I hope it's good stuff. Oh, usually. <laughs> uh, usually it's one of us, the members of the church, uh, talking about you and not the Mormons. When I say church, I mean Big C. Right, right, right. Okay. Awesome. There, there is a uh, passage in Matthew 16, verse 19, that, I'm, that I have trouble with myself. It says, I will give, unto, I will give you the keys of the kingdom, of heaven, and whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Okay. They're hitting, this with us, hitting that with us quite a bit, and this whatsoever word in here, I like to say that, that means all. Okay. And I like to hit them with all, too, because when, when we say all, we mean everything. So whatsoever mean here doesn't mean everything? Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to get into the scriptures. I'd have to look at the Greek. Uh, but what we'll do is next week, I'll try to do some homework and follow up on your question. It's a good one. Because okay. that, that uh, is yeah. a verse, Jim, that they use often to prove. They use this verse all the time. And this, the, the word whatsoever there is a stumbling block to me. Okay. I need to, I need to get some grounding on this. 
I don't speak Greek. Well, neither uh, do I, but uh, I can look I, it up. I, I, don't, I don't even have the, the books or, or the wherewithal right now to buy the books that's going to tell me how, to, how I can look at this. So whatever you can do to help me, I surely appreciate it. That would be good. A couple things. I taught on that when we talked through Matthew, and there's a fantastic response to it, uh, but it's not at the tip of my tongue. But also just remember that in the context of the Bible, he may have said to his apostles, whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. That doesn't mean that they're going to bind sheep to horses in marriage. It doesn't mean that they're going to come up with some strange things and do. It's just in the context of what the gospel is about. And if they say something, that was going to hold water during that apostolic period. We also have to look at the other passages where Jesus talks about marriage. And he talks about how it's not in heaven. And that the people of this world marry and are given in marriage. That's his attitude toward it. So you can't just take those things Jesus said and discount them because over here he says to his apostle, now whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. You can't discount it. So contextually, we have at least that answer so far. But I'll get the, the understanding, better understanding of that passage, and we'll talk about it next week. Sounds good to me, guy. Thanks, Jim. Okay, thanks, my brother. Bye now. God bless. Bye-bye. We have a different Joe from Salt Lake City in LDS Online 1. Joe, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello, Sean. Hello, Joe. Hey, uh, I would like to correct uh, two misleading or erroneous statements uh, you made a few minutes ago. Sounds I, good. I seldom listen, uh, but I, I tuned in at 821, and by 823 I found two misleading statements. And so it makes me think I'm hesitant to uh, hey, Joe? Listen, listen again. Yes. Hey. Every single LDS caller who writes me or calls always says, I just happened to check this show out this time. This is the first time I've ever seen it. Now you're adding on in two minutes, you have seen such things that it's just, no one should watch it. Just get to the point. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd like to just make my statements and then I'll, I'll, I'll uh, close my call. Thank you. Um, nowhere in the temple recommend questions does it use the named Joseph Smith. Does it say, and, okay, wait a second, before you go on to your next point, does it say, do you believe that this God, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the only true church, is the restored gospel? Yes, but it does not say Joseph Smith, as you said. Okay. Uh, now, when I went through, it said Joseph Smith. So I'm sorry, I stand corrected, and if that's true, you're right. Okay? The second item. Um, but i got to ask you something. Why does that matter to you? Are you embarrassed by the fact that you received Joseph Smith as, as uh, belief in him that's necessary to be uh, LDS? Heavens no. So then what's the, pro what's the point? It's misleading. Um, it's not misleading. It's right in context with your beliefs. So if well, it was in there when I went through and it's not in there now, couldn't you say, well, you know, Sean, you brought this up. It's not in there now, but we do believe Joseph Smith, is our belief in him is necessary to be a faithful Mormon. Why couldn't you have said that, Jim? That's Joe. Joe. Why couldn't just, you? Why couldn't uh, you? Just, we, we just need to be correct. Okay, and so do you. And that means an inference, too. This is a duplicitous game we play, and I want to stay on task. Okay, next question. You inferred that it, during your statements about getting to the temple or with a recommend that you couldn't have more than one ear piercing. That is misleading. That's not true. Okay, let me ask you this. Did the prophet come out and say... You shouldn't have more than one ear piercing. And in the Temple Recommend interview, does it say, do you support and sustain the living prophet? Yes, but it says nothing about the ear piercing. Okay, okay. That's misleading. It's not misleading. It's right on task again. You are splitting hairs. I'm just saying, if the question is asked, do you support the living prophet, believe in him, sustain him, and you're sitting there with piercings all over your face, and you say, yes, I do. You're lying. So the, the bishop or stake president would have to say the prophet has said one uh, ear piercing per ear and you are, your face is co covered in them. So what I'm saying is, I mean, I, they may not say, do you have more than one ear piercing? But they do say, do you follow the prophet? And the modern day prophet, glory be to God, has come out with a direct revelation saying one piercing per ear. You know, I understand your point. Okay, so you've cleared that up. Does everyone in the audience understand? The actual, the actual piercing number is not asked. But the guy who gave us the piercing number is supposed to be wholeheartedly supported by the interviewee.
Do we understand that, Joe? Sure. Okay, well, Joe. thank you. All right, Joe, good, good points. All right. You know, they get mad at me because they come with this sing-song lilting. I'm delivering a speech at General Conference. And they talk like this, and they give the presentation, and it sounds so nice. But Joe is, I'm sorry, he's a viper because he is trying to bring in that this can't be trusted. And his, two of his points that he said were off were actually on when you look at it in the whole of it. I'm not making this stuff up. It's just he wants specifics. This is how they do it. You have to say exactly this or we feel that we are right. We're going to Sumner in Riverton on line four, first time caller. Sumner, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, hey. Uh, I was curious because I have only have friends that I talk to a lot about the Bible and the differences between the LDS religion and uh, Christian, the Christian religion. And I was just wondering if there was an easier way to approach, approach the subject because they keep asking me to talk to their bishop or something like that. Um, first of all, how old are you? I'm 15. Awesome, man. So you're a Christian in high school and you're getting in discussions with your LDS friends and their response is, you need to talk to, your, to our bishop? Uh, say that again? Uh, you're in high school and your LDS friends, what is their response when you start talking? Um, usually they just, I'll talk to them mainly about the point about... Um, I said there's only one God, and they, and they don't say that. And it's just, they, I always approach them by just asking, like, questions such as, um, like that, and just all these other, other things, and they just kind of, they don't know, and they just keep asking me to ask their bishop, and it just kind of gets irritating when they don't know, and they keep asking me to ask their bishop. So I, just, I was just wondering if there's another way to approach that where I can't, where it don't seem harsh or anything. Yeah. Well, then what you're dealing with, and it, it's normal, and this happens a lot with Christians too, you're dealing with your LDS friends who don't know what the church really believes. And so every time you ask them a tough question, or if you say, you know, the Bible says this, why do you do that? They're going to say, I don't know, you should talk to the bishop. Because they are, from a young person, they are taught to follow the prophet, to look to their leaders for everything, 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 until they receive their own ability to stand. And so that's what they're doing. But, you know, to be fair, <coughs> Christian kids do the same thing. They, so they often don't study the Word, and they just say, I believe because I believe. And they're, they're, but the best way to approach that is to just keep bringing up the Bible and bring up the things that your questions and make sure you understand where it comes from and say, the Bible says this. Jesus said this about marriage. Now, why do you guys teach that there's eternal marriage? Jesus teaches this about marriage. And then they will take it to their bishop, on Sunday, and they'll say, I have a friend at school who's asked this question. How come? And the bishop will lie to him, and he'll spin it, and he'll say all kinds of stuff that isn't true, just, just out of his heart wanting them to stay in the church, not because he's de devious to them. Oh, I'm gonna. He's just like, oh, yeah, well, Jesus had more that he didn't say, and it's found in these books and these books, and they just make stuff up. But you just keep teaching what Jesus said. This is going to be the best way to plant seeds because later on when those boys and girls grow older, those seeds will start to grow and God's word will not return void. Okay, Sumner? All right, thank you. Okay, God bless. Take care. Bye-bye. We're going to Bruce in Kaysville, first-time caller. Bruce, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. <coughs> Hi, Bruce. Hi, is this Sean? It is. I'm sorry, I was just watching TV. Uh... Yeah, I appreciate you. Uh, appreciate your ministry, and I appreciate you that you quoted Matthew eight twenty eight. Oh, good. Uh, because that is a promise of God. Yeah. And uh, I use it a lot. Um, I'm still a Mormon, mm -hmm. but I am a Christian. Um, you know, I'm still on the books, and and and, and Sean, I appreciate you cleaning it up, buddy. Because <laughs> I I do refer people who are sitting on the fence of Mormonism and Christianity to your program. Thanks, man. And uh, um, I just appreciate your ministry and, and appreciate that you did quote a promise of God, Matthew eight twenty eight. Praise God, Bruce. It's, thanks for the call. Uh, do you have our book? Uh, no, I don't. Would you read it if we sent it to you? Absolutely. Hey, Bruce, stay on the, on the line you're, uh, and... Uh, 
The operator will get your message and we'll send it out to you, my brother. Thanks. You take care. Hold on. I don't know. Oh, line two. Boy, we're getting casual here. Uh, let's go to Chris in West Jordan. Chris, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, how's it going? It's going really well, Chris. How are you? Not too bad. Hey, I just wanted to make a couple of comments real quick. Okay. Um, uh, I, first of all, I just want to say you're doing an awesome job, and I, I just uh, I appreciate what you're doing, man. Praise God. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, um, I just wanted to make a quick comment. Um, in the Bible, God says that uh, um, I am the only God there will not be a God before me or after me. Right. Right. And uh, so if the LDS people think that they have to believe in Joseph Smith and believe what he said, that God is true, why would God tell Joseph Smith something different? Yeah. Wouldn't, wouldn't that, wouldn't that uh, contradict what, what God is? It would. It's a it great would. point, my brother. And, you know, uh, Joseph Smith had an uncanny ability to justify his wants and desires and needs in the name of God. Thus saith the Lord, or right. he spoke in God's first person name, and he had him say whatever he, his mind wanted him to say. Right. And it's really, uh, that's truly the definition of um, blasphemy and of uh, using the Lord's name in vain. Right, right. Is to speak for God when it's not God speaking. Right. So that's how they do it. Right on. Thanks, Sean. All right, Chris. Take care. You too, man. All right. Bye-bye. We're going to Brad in Salt Lake City. Brad, you're on Heart of the Matter. We only have about a minute and a half, my friend. Hey, God bless you, Sean. Quick question. Do you think it's possible that the LDS are practicing polygamy in secret? Absolutely. Yeah, I believe my dad is. That's why I asked. He's hierarchy in the LDS church. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. They believe it. That's why Doctrine Comes 132 is still there. And uh, there's all kinds of rumors, but they are so careful. And then, uh, it, Brad, not only secretly, but they actually still do it uh, uh, openly, spiritually, by being sealed to more than one wife as their wives pass away. But I agree with you. I think it would be such a great thing to discover. You know, we ought to put a reward out, a bounty. Someone get a video of a general authority going from one house to another, like on Big Love or something. I mean, we'll pay. A great, great... Great call, Brad. Thanks so much. God bless you. God bless you. Bye-bye. Well, uh, please remember, we got the great generation coming up. We have a volunteer meeting uh, that's going to be Saturday, October 3rd, that 11 a.m. here at the station. We're looking for volunteers to help us with being camera people, uh, ed editing, assistant directors, sound, uh, music, everything that goes on with putting on a large show weekly. That's going to be live and reaching out to teens. So if you're interested in that, and if you're a teenager or a young adult, we would really like you to be participative in this because it's going to help, uh, you'll help keep us young and keep us on the right track of what's going on. So we invite you, remember October 3rd, uh, Saturday here, 11 a.m. Uh, in the morning. Whether it had to do with business or getting himself out of a fix or obtaining more women, Joseph had no problem saying, uh, thus saith the Lord, God is the author of all of it. And like Poe and Sun Myung Moon and David Koresh and Jim Jones, people believed him and still believe him today. We want you to know Jesus is the way, truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. It's not by anybody else. It's by him. It's not by any other church or gospel. It's by him. You can know him. Go to him and ask him to open your eyes and give you the truth. See you next week here on Heart of the Matter.